Responsible World, what's going on? Welcome back. Interesting podcast today with Sarah Troutman, a PhD student of University of Michigan, and Greg Ewing, a former PhD student at Michigan and now in Iowa, about the LIFT project, which is a research and actionable project based out of the University of Michigan, talking about the internet of water and how to better leverage different infrastructure and the different hardware sensors that go into monitoring different water quality and, and water flow to be able to provide better, more actionable information for water and storm water and drinking water operators to make sure we can better operate the systems during stormwater situations. Um, this is an issue because within urban city environments, we're experiencing a lot of combined sewer overflows, which impacts lake ecology, drinking water issues. And what this whole lift project is doing is taking all this data that exists and providing actionable information for the water operators to make more informed decisions. This is really critical as we're facing a world with a lot of growing population and increased strain with uncertain weather patterns. And this is a really important technology that will continue to bring value to all those around the Great Lakes region and the entire world. We hope you enjoy listening and talk soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rethinking H2O podcast. Today, we are fortunate to sit down with Sarah Troutman and Greg Ewing. Sarah is a current PhD student at the University of Michigan. Greg is a former PhD at the uh, University of Michigan and now at the University of Iowa. Uh, thank you both for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Thank you. Doing really well. Thanks. Right on. So we're excited to learn more about this Lyft project, um, which is really tying in a lot of different things of hardware, software, communication, within the whole science of the Internet of Water. Um, and I think that's been a trending topic in this space. Um, but if you could give us some context on what is the Lyft project um, that would help set us the stage here. Sure thing. So, um, so this is Greg. Uh, the Lyft uh, Intelligent Water Systems Challenge is actually a challenge that was uh, a competition that was organized by the Water Environment Federation and the Water Research Foundation. Um, and the idea was to connect, basically open it up, open the um, the space up for groups of utilities and researchers and companies, basically anybody who is interested in um, presenting a novel uh, and new um, technical solution, smart water solution to um, a problem that a utility was having. And they that was the first challenge was in 2018. Um, and they're actually doing a 2019 challenge. And you can find more about that online uh, by Googling, you know, Lyft IWS challenge 2019. Um, for the competition uh, in 2018, uh, our group, the Real-Time Water Systems Group at the University of Michigan, um, we actually submitted a project that was a an extension of some work that we were currently doing um, with the Great Lakes Water Utility, Water Authority, which is the water utility in the Detroit metro region. Um, and so what we were doing with them was uh, they have uh, a, a really expansive network of control uh, points, sensors, rain gauges um, across their stormwater network. And the the idea, uh, the concept was, let's take that data that you're um, that you're already ingesting 
already taking in. Uh, let's see if we can look at it in real time, analyze it, and make control recommendations on uh, how best to operate the uh, the stormwater infrastructure, especially the large storage assets like um, you know their retention basins uh, and control valves and pump stations. Interesting. So as you are looking at this, I mean, it seems like there is this network that we already have of existing infrastructure that is meant to keep stormwater at bay or meant to try and control stormwater in one place. And then now what you're stating is that, hey, we already have all this information that's out there and all these hard assets. And now is the goal of this initiative to to try and make them... I guess was it it is the goal to make them talk together and and why is that important to to have some of these different parts of the system talking together? Yeah, that's a great question. Um so yeah, the the goal is really was to uh take in all this data. So they have um just to give you a sense, they have over 100 different locations where they're taking measurements and that could be uh, rain gauges, that's flow, that's um, flow meters, it's level meters, that's pump um, pump statuses. And so this is a ton of information. They're passing this uh, to the operators at less than minute frequencies. Um, and so if you can imagine, it is a lot for a person, one person to look at and try to um, synthesize information from all this data. And so the idea was, can we take, can we harness the data that they're already collecting, process it in a way that is actionable to, to operators, actionable to the humans who, um, you know, really need this data to operate the system better with uh, greater performance. So it was really the big, the, the idea behind it. How can we, um, how can we make this raw data and transform it into information? Yeah, and so to build on top of Greg's comment there, um, one of the important things about looking at, for instance, the GLWA network is that it's a very expansive network, and it's got both stormwater and wastewater components that lead towards one of the largest water resource recovery facilities in the U.S., much less the world. And so when you have these assets that are quite large in scale in terms of static capacity, if you're going to be able to control them, controlling them on a very localized scale often isn't sufficient for managing these large volumes of water. So actually having these different assets informed by real data and working in conjunction with each other um, by informing these operators to what the entire system is doing can really allow us to leverage these assets to a fuller extent. Interesting. And as you you, you talk about leveraging to full extent, um, I mean, give us an example of why it would be important, let's say during a storm, if it's raining or snowing a bunch, and maybe it's full in one reservoir and not full in another reservoir, how can having a interconnected network of wastewater, stormwater, and, and different assets throughout the Great Lakes, Great Lakes Water Association 
how can that bring value to the overall uh, like entire watershed within the Great Lakes region? So as I mentioned before, because this network is so large, um, if you have, for instance, one asset filling up, then perhaps assets that are further upstream can, um, even if they're not under localized pressure, can take some of that pressure off of downstream assets so that you really balance the utilization of capacity across the entire network. And some of the goals that we were looking at for this system in particular was to equalize the flows that are being sent to that downstream water resource recovery facility so that they're not being overwhelmed with the large spikes of, for instance, rainwater flow that's entering the system, but then also to reduce uh, the volumes or occurrences of combined sewer overflow events as well. And in addition to allowing this water resource recovery facility to perhaps treat water more efficiently, it also, in reducing these overflows, directly could impact the amount of untreated or minimally treated wastewater and stormwater that is being discharged into, for instance, the Rouge or Detroit rivers, which is a significant pollution issue in any river, but especially in um, this large freshwater resource, the Great Lakes, that we have. And for those of us that don't know that term, combined sewer sewer overflows, what is a combined sewer overflow and why is it a problem that we need to be aware of and try and prevent? So a combined sewer overflow is um, an event that occurs in, as it's called, uh, combined sewers, which is where you have stormwater networks that are integrated into the sanitary or wastewater sewer network. So when it rains, you have of a large volume of stormwater entering the network, which creates large wet weather peaks on top of the existing dry weather flows that are the wastewater component. So when you flush the toilet or run the sink, that water is integrated with the stormwater. And because of this large influx of rainwater that enters the system during wet weather events, under Scenarios where you don't have combined sewer overflows, you'd have a large volume of water hitting the water resource recovery facility all at once, which would overwhelm its capacity to store, treat, um, convey flows through the system. And so these combined sewer overflow basins have historically been built in these combined sewer networks to store volumes, large volumes of excess flows during the but weather events, wait till the system becomes less inundated with all of the stormwater, and then slowly bleed it back into the network to move downstream for treatment. However, if the capacity of those combined sewer basins becomes too great, it will discharge in combined sewer overflow events into a nearby body of water, such as a river. And um, some of these basins include no treatment of this stormwater and or wastewater flows. Some of them include some level of primary treatment, but overall it's generally minimally treated before it's discharged. So this is an attempt to not overwhelm downstream systems with the large volumes of water at once. Yeah, you can you can think about it as like um, can combined sewer overflows happen, uh, you know, if, if the volume, you could represent the volume of I guess your stormwater pipes is your bathtub. You know you have that those um, holes at the top of the the either the sink or the tub that when the water gets too high, it'll automatically go through those those holes 
and avoid, you know, flooding upstream or, you know, spilling over the sides of your, um, spilling over the sides of your tub. So in that way, it's basically if levels get too high in the, in the conveyance system and the pipes or in the, um, in the retention basins, uh, CSOs happen because, uh, basically to avoid (laughs) being, um, backfilling into like a basement or into someone's property. Gotcha. So yeah, we want to prevent these because it mm-hmm. either discharges untreated uh, sewage into our waterways, which is bad for the ecosystem, or it's contaminating our drinking water, which is what we use to drink and bathe. Right. Yeah. So the big kind of the big issue around CSOs is um, is you're you're basically putting untreated water into a, uh, you know, your discharge water body. And in this case, uh, untreated CSOs are going into the Detroit river, which are, uh, which is part of the great lakes, um, system. So, uh, the Lake Erie is fed by, uh, the Detroit river. So, um, you get, you get a lot of downstream, um, water quality issues because, of, of upstream um, discharges, uncontrolled dis- gotcha. uncontrolled discharges. Nice. Well, thank yeah. you for that context and, and mm-hmm. providing all this information on the hardware and the software. And, and I think this is such a fascinating project that other places in the country can can learn from. And and I'd like to know kind of where you sit now. It's it's February 2019. Oh, where, what's the process for this to be kind of implemented across the Great Lakes and, and kind of what is this lift project and this whole notion of Internet of Water look like in the future and in particularly the rest of 2019? Yeah, so right now where we where we stand is we've, uh, you know, we've built this um, dashboard for the operators that's running in real time that provides them um, with actionable information. So instead of them looking at, at a stormwater operator, looking at a screen with just, you know, raw data, um, we've actually transformed the data into um, a recommendation that is immediately actionable. So, um, you know, say a storage facility is filling up, well, one of the recommendations would be, hey, I think you should turn, um, you know, these three pumps on for the next 10 minutes. And then, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes from now, we'll check in and say, okay, that's great. You can turn off one of the pumps and go down to two pumps for 10 minutes. Um, and, you know, our, our, our goal uh, kind of you know, our incremental step right now is to apply this, um, you know, deploy this product, uh, this tool during uh, the spring season, which is uh, normally wet, wet and rainy uh, in Michigan. Deploy it then, see what the operators um, think of it, get feedback and, you know, iterate and make make the, the product for them better. Um, in kind of the like stepping back, looking at the big picture, uh, I think what really the takeaway of this project is that um, with a very a very minimal uh, investment on the utility side, you can get uh, significant 
return on investment in terms of, um, I guess, better better operation as well as uh, um, reduced reduced peaks and basically saving money both by avoiding uh, future construction and uh, operating your system better right now. It makes sense. And so. And so what what we're really excited about is to share um, share this this work with basically the greater community of uh, water operators, um, stormwater operators, utilities, uh, because you know the uh, the Great Lakes Water Authority they um, they entered into this ut- university utility partnership with the with our lab and the University of Michigan. Um, they they spent only one hundred and thirty thousand dollars for uh, a year project, and um, some of our analyses have shown that uh, the additional storage that uh, we are going to be utilizing in their system could save them hundreds of millions of dollars. Wow! And yeah, if anything, it seems like there already is a lot of infrastructure that exists and you're working to make that more efficient. And a lot of that is through how do we take all this raw data and we could be the smartest person in the world, but numbers on the screen or just a bunch of data thrown at you, especially in real time, is almost impossible to know what to do with. So creating that dashboard interface with actionable data is something that could benefit water operators around the country, um, which I find to be so fascinating about this project and, and hopefully something that we'll see replicated not only throughout the Great Lakes, but throughout the entire country. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. The, the, the principles of this technology, the principles of our project can be applied in really um, a whole range of different applications. Um, You know, what you're seeing, uh, I think, East to West, there's a trend where, you know, in the Western portions of the United States, these water systems are um, separated sewers, so they're not combined, whereas as you move East, these older legacy systems have combined sewers. Um, there's applications in both both uh, the separated and combined sewers uh, systems uh, with this information. Um, I guess with this platform. Awesome. So if people wanted to learn more about this or get in touch about how a water operator could use this, or if someone's just interested in the technology, what would be the best way for someone to get in touch with you two or to learn more about the project? So we uh, actually are sharing um, all of this, basically the back end, all the digital infrastructure that we've built for this project, we're sharing it on GitHub. So I actually have a um, documentation posted online that's viewable. Uh, anybody can view it, look at what I've done, um, look at my, uh, or look at our um, our methodology. Uh, and I can share the website with you and maybe we can put it on, uh, share it with the podcast description. Yep. We can put it in the show notes, no problem. Perfect. The other the other thing I would say is check out uh, our the openstorm.org uh, website that has um, a lot of information about different types of projects that um, 
Sarah and I and our colleagues have done in terms of, you know, deploying sensors, deploying controls, how, how do you actually start to, um, you know, deploy sensors and collect information about your system if you don't already have, have that. Likewise, if you don't already have, you know, control, control points in your system, we, um, We've got a lot of information online at openstorm.org. Right on. Yeah, so I'll just emphasize on that note, um, both through this GitHub repo where we've put all of our backend code for taking data and actually giving it, um, you know, actionable information to come from that. Also with OpenStorm, all of this information that we're developing is open source. So anybody can access it and then use it in their own application, whether that's a combined sewer network or a separated just stormwater network as well. There's also um, a series on OpenStorm.org of different tutorials for building a sensor node, deploying it, and then collecting that data in real time for use. Fantastic. Well, Greg and Sarah, this has really been a pleasure, and, and the work you're doing is to, uh, cutting edge and really fantastic, and we're excited to vocalize this more throughout the, the water world here and, and look forward to the exciting updates with some of the trials coming up here in uh, spring of 2019. Thanks. Yep, thank you. Hey, Kevin, can I make uh, one more plug? Yeah. Um, so this year, uh, August 7th through 9th, there's going to be a open storm workshop in Ann Arbor, uh, and that'll be open to the public. You can sign up and we'll go through everything between starting from the, the hardware all the way up through deploying, writing the code and deploying in the field. So, uh, look for that online too. We can share that information in the, uh, the podcast notes as well. Awesome. Greg. Well, thank you both for your time today, and I look forward to talking again soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. 